Welcome to NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Anthony Resnick directing us behind the scenes. A lot to get to today. Nevada women with a big win out on the road. A last second shot to uh, defeat UNLV. We'll hear from Coach Amanda Levins on that. Uh, we'll uh, talk with Moses Wood. Mo Wood, a former Galena High School standout, now getting some quality minutes with the Rebels men's basketball team. Of course, his father played at Nevada and he's a two-lane transfer, now finding some success at UNLV. Going to talk with uh, Joanna McWilliams from Kirkwood about ski conditions and how things are going down there. They just absolutely got smashed with snow. And uh, we said we had Alex on the show on Friday uh, with Reds cruising around the slopes there. And is baseball season in the major leagues a go? Is it going to happen and start on time? There's actually some optimism. And Chris, I like optimism right now. I like positivity and optimism. But uh, Nevada men with a chance to go for the sweep tonight at home against UNLV coming off that big 89 to 60 victory over the rebels um uh, nevada's got some momentum right now but uh, they really did rely on the three ball in game one against the rebels and bryce hamilton being out with an ankle injury for unlv yeah i mean they played really well it was their best game of the season it was unlv's worst game of the season i don't think you're going to see either of those things in this game it's going to be a fresh slate i'm not this huge believer in momentum i mean nevada had momentum after beating fresno state two games in a row and then they went and lost twice at wyoming so you got to play well each time you hit the court nevada certainly did that last time out and they're going to try and do that again uh you know you know these coach uh, tj otzelberger you know really lit into his team after that game there were some pretty strong quotes about a lack of leadership and having pride in what you put out there on the court so uh, he used a pretty similar tactic last year when they lost to Pacific and UNLV went on a four game winning streak and closed the season really, really strong after those comments. So uh, I'm not sure that that's going to do a ton in terms of executing, but uh, certainly he's asking for more from his team. And I think if Bryce Hamilton plays and that seems like a 50 50 proposition, uh, you know, Nevada will have a much more difficult test. But, um, you know, these two teams are very similar entering the matchup on Sunday. Obviously, it didn't look like that. And UNLV's job is to make sure that they can go out and prove that they're much better than what they showed last time out so I'm sure they're going to be fired up to try and do so but uh, yeah if you're Nevada you got to be really happy with how you played two days ago and hope that you can repeat that effort yeah it's 6 p.m tip at Lawler Event Center tonight uh, depending on what time you're watching the show the game is either about to tip off or it has tipped off or it could be over this show airs at multiple times during during the day uh the three-point barrage that Nevada threw up against UNLV what does that uh, what does that tell you I mean does that create optimism for you, or is that uh, no, this team shouldn't have to rely? KJ Hines at two threes in this game. I mean, is it is it one of those? Hey, don't don't think this is going to be there every night, or does that create optimism for you? Yeah, I mean, they actually want KJ shooting threes. They're trying to turn him into a stretch power forward, according to Steve Alford. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him take a more of those. But um, maybe that the new rims work. Maybe that's the big takeaway. And I've started really poorly shooting at home, uh, and then they changed the rims out uh, before the Fresno State series, and they've been shooting the three ball really well since then. So uh, I don't know if there's any correlation to that, but um, you know, Nevada's a solid three-point shooting team. I think the thing you like most about that is they had six different players make multiple three-pointers in that game. So that's very difficult to stop, way more difficult to stop than if you just have Desmond Cambridge going and shooting, uh, you know, and trying to make seven or eight three-pointers. It's a lot easier to defend one guy than when your whole team is hot. And I think if you're UNLV, they didn't put any pressure on Grant Schur field so they allowed him to get wide open baskets for his uh you know teammates and that's not going to happen in this game i mean you know he's going to be a lot more uh you know dogged and aggressive in their defending they're a team that does a pretty good job of creating steals and they didn't in this first game so uh yeah if that three-point shooting carries over it's going to be huge for nevada but i think just as important they were really good defending the three as we've talked about unlv really depends on three-pointers made uh, they only made eight out of 27 against Nevada. It's only the fourth time this season they were held under 30% accuracy from beyond the arc, averaging, uh, you know, right
right around 10, 11 made threes per game. So, um, you know, Nevada killed UNLV from the three-point line. I think if that's an even battle, that's a big plus for the Wolfpack. Um, but it, it wasn't even close to even in that first game. And that's why the game got out of hand from the Rebels' perspective. There are so many storylines with this team. Before we get to your three keys and a prediction, so many storylines with this team. But one of the most intriguing ones to me is a young man from Australia, Daniel Foster, got his first collegiate start, goes out there, knocks down a three in his first shot. The learning curve, what I've seen from his first game to now, which is a very short sample, um, has been very, very sharp. He's really seems like he's, he's improved and picked up the game. Granted, he still makes freshman mistakes, but what have been your impressions of him so far? Yeah, I've really liked what I've seen. I mean, a six foot six point guard. Uh, he's basically Nevada's backup point guard right now. Keen Milling's more of a shooting guard, so they kind of moved him over there. But uh, able to give Grant Sherfield a couple of minutes off each half. But you know, he's able to rebound, make plays for himself. He's hit a couple of threes. He's been able to drive and try and get to the free throw line. Uh, you know, he's a very uh, aggressive player. I think he has a lot of belief in himself, and that's not always the case when you come from overseas because it's such a more aggressive game in America. Um, but you know, he did have that prep year over in the Bay Area, and that probably helped him last year getting adjusted and uh, un really unfortunate that he started the season with the shoulder injury and basically missed the first eight weeks but um, you know I I've been really pleased with how he's played and I think it shows you how much the, uh, Nevada's coaching staff believes in him that he was the one who went into the starting lineup and I wouldn't be shocked if he stays there because it's really nice to have Zane Meeks coming off the bench and know that okay we have somebody that if our offense is scuffling we can go pull him in and he's going to give us some instant offense. So uh, yeah, he's gotten off to a really good start. If it were me, I would be giving him 20 minutes per game, trying to get him as good as possible heading into that conference tournament, which is kind of what the season is going to boil down to in terms of postseason for Nevada. So uh, you have to be really happy with the first three games Daniel Foster's been able to give Nevada. And he's just one of the more versatile players on the team. I can't wait to really speak to him and kind of ask him how much he thinks his experience in Australian rules football, uh, because he has an extensive experience with that. Um, helped him adjust to a physical and in a, in a really, really just emotional and aggressive game uh, on the hardwood here in the, in the United States. Uh, Chris, let's go to your three keys and a prediction. Yeah, key number one is to start fresh. Uh, as we mentioned, a 29-point win on Sunday is not going to carry over. Nevada's not starting with a 29-point head start. We saw them earlier this season in a series against Air Force. They routed the Falcons in game one, and they just let up in game two, and they ended up losing. That's their worst loss of the year. So Nevada has to come in with a fresh mindset, knowing that it's going to get a more difficult opponent in UNLV, which is going to play a lot harder in this game. So if it does that and it's able to execute, I think it'll have success. Uh, and the key number two is to make UNLV beat them off the dribble. Uh, UNLV, they live and die with the three-pointer, 42% of their points from beyond the arc. That's the fifth highest mark in the nation. Uh, Nevada did a great job of defending the three in the first game. UNLV only got to the free throw line nine times. It's not something that they do well. If Nevada defends the three-point line, then UNLV is really going to struggle offensively. Uh, and then key number three is don't give the ball away. I mean, Nevada had a lot of issues with turnovers early in the season. Uh, almost 15 turnovers per game, its first 10 games. You look at the last eight games, it's 11 turnovers per game getting an extra four possessions per game. And UNLV doesn't have a lot of strengths, but one of their strengths is being able to take the ball away from their opponent. They get uh, steals on 10.4% of the opponent's possessions. That's uh, top 65 in the nation. So they've been pretty good at that. Uh, if Nevada doesn't give the ball away, a lot more margin for our offensively, and they've been able to do that of late. I don't think you're going to see as large of a route in that first game. The 29-point margin of victory was Nevada's second largest in this series. Um, but I do have Nevada winning. I have him winning 77 to 70. Even if Bryce Hamilton, UNLV's leading scorer, does play, he's going to be somewhat hobbled by that ankle injury. And without him, they're just a much different team. So I have Nevada sweeping this series for the third time uh, in a Mountain West series this year. Uh, that would be eight in a row uh, for Nevada over UNLV, which, I mean, if you talk to somebody 
even even five six years ago they would have thought that was that was you know un, unheard of but uh, you know it'll be a 6 p.m tip tonight for nevada against unlv on cbs sports network if you want to check check that we'll have, we'll have a full recap of it uh, coming up on uh, coming up on wednesday i'm i'm digging up the line real quick here chris see if it has changed at all uh four and a half so uh uh, I would probably still throw the money on Nevada in this one, even if uh, uh, Bryce Hamilton is in uniform, but uh, Nevada by four and a half. Coming up next here in NSN Daily, Kirsten Moran will join us, talk about a last-second buzzer-beating victory shot for the pack over UNLV on the women's side. That's next. Well, exciting game uh, down in uh, Las Vegas at the Cox Pavilion between Nevada and uh, UNLV on the women's side. Kirsten Moran joining us now for this segment. Uh, Kirsten Hamilton. I mean, uh, big on Broadway and it's big in Vegas. I mean, a huge shot to win this with like 1.3 seconds to go. Oh, what was your reaction to that? Insane. The game was absolutely insane. I, what, what really like sparked just me paying attention so much more was that UNLV and Nevada tied it up nine times between the third quarter and the fourth quarter. So you really couldn't, there was no double digit lead from either team. It was neck and neck down to the last wire, but yes, Deja Hamilton, let's talk about her. She had a career game with 32 points and she, that's the most points any player has scored in the mountain West this season. So huge accomplishment to her. Congrats. And it was her 21st birthday this weekend. You know, she spent it in Vegas. Not, she didn't really get to do anything in Vegas because she was having an ice bath at nine o'clock on her birthday night. But um, what was really also sparked my, just what I loved more about her performance too, was that she wasn't even feeling well before the game. Not that I love that she wasn't feeling well, but she used that to fuel kind of like, it took a distraction away from her game. She wasn't just overanalyzing how her play was. She was really just thinking about, she had, she had talked about she had back spasms before the game. And so once she was able to warm up, she was really able to relax. And she said, I didn't, I didn't think about things too much. I just went for it. I thought, you know, me sitting out was not, was not even an option. And head coach Amanda Levins, she talked about how it was kind of like her Michael Jordan flu game. Um, and not, not the same, but, but a little bit of a comparison. So um, yes, yeah, they also, I talked about yesterday, how they needed to execute in the second end of the half. And they did that. The, first, the second half, second quarter of the, of the game they were only shooting 40 percent and they were down by two so similar to the first game but then the fourth quarter the team shot 47 percent and then 83 percent from deep so overall much better performance from the pack chris it was uh i love seeing some of these videos now that we have social media which can be a burden and which can be a, you know a, a gift at times and nevada women's basketball shared a piece of video where amanda levins is walking into the locker room and Sometimes you, you have coaches that will let their players go into the locker room and celebrate and they'll come back in and they'll come in the locker room a few minutes later. And we saw this with Muss with that sweet 16 team, him getting doused with the water. Levins walks in and gets absolutely a shower from her players. And it's just pure joy. I mean, throwing, throwing these records out the window. And we all know that Nevada is, is not in a position where they're favored to win a championship this year, but all of that hard work and taking their lumps and to get a win like that on the road, I'll bet that flight home was absolutely spectacular. And it, it just to get that type of, hey, we can do this. We can play with teams that are middle of the road, maybe not upper tier, but middle of the road, Mountain West, and it's progress. I, I just thought it was a great piece of video. Yeah, and I mean, it could have been really, really bad. I mean, right before that Deja Hamilton three-pointer to win the game, uh, Nevada's up four with less than 20 seconds to go, and you think the game's in the bag. 
And then they almost give up a five-point play. They ended up giving up a four-point play. Uh, UNLV hit a three-pointer, and uh, a player was fouled simultaneously. So they got two free throws on top of that. So they were very, very close to blowing a big late lead and having that turn into just a gut-wrenching loss and getting swept at your rival. Um, so for them to be able to turn around and say, okay, we just screwed up, um, but, you know, we're tied. Let's go make a play happen. And Deja Hamilton to step up. Um, you know, it was an amazing turnaround. And Deja was just remarkable in that game. I mean, her 32 points was the most for a Nevada player since 2011 when Tawny Robinson had 35 points, uh, a career high and made three pointers. Uh, she's been fabulous all year. I mean, this is somebody who averaged about six points per game last year, and she's more than doubled that. She's almost at 15 points per game this season. Uh, as we mentioned, Nevada lost a number of really good scorers. The top three scorers all left, one to graduation, two to transfer. They needed somebody to step up. And certainly Deja's done that all season but none more than in this game. I mean, this is a top 10 performance in Nevada women's basketball history from an individual standpoint in a huge rivalry game in the clutch. She had a half court shot at the end of halftime, which obviously ended up being huge. So um, she just delivered when Nevada needed her to deliver. And uh, it, it feels really good when you get a split, when the second one's a win, when the second one's a loss, maybe not so good, but yeah, they certainly had to come home uh, before the series against Boise state feeling really good about what they were able to accomplish in Las Vegas. All right. Here's Amanda Levins, head coach of, the Nevada women after the victory over UNLV. I just, I'm so proud of our team. I thought they were so tough today. Um, you know, there were points when we were down and we just kind of kept hanging around and staying in the game. And in the first half, we were in a lot of foul trouble. And I thought Bethany Carsons and Gabby Ronas really stepped up. You know, Gabby hasn't played in a couple games and she came in and she hit a shot. She took care of the ball. Um, but I thought everyone that played in the game gave us something and really, you know, gave us a chance to win. Um, and obviously the response when they had the four point play at the very end, I th think that could have gone sideways in a hurry. You know, we could have been like, what are we doing? And just held on to that. And we didn't, we came out of the game. We're like, Hey, what do we need to do to score? You know? And, you know, obviously in, in this game, it was kind of like get the ball to Deja cause she really had it going. So up next for the pack, this is a big test. And when we mean big, we need big in a, a player that we're very familiar with. We'll get to her in a second, but uh, Boise state coming up, Chris and the Broncos Broncos, uh, you know, are known for being very, very good. They've stumbled a little bit as of late. Yeah, I mean, they had to change a lot of players out there, eight and five overall, five and five in the Mountain West. So not what you typically expect from a Broncos team uh, that's won the conference tournament for four straight seasons. They lost their last four games. They've lost two to Fresno State, two to Colorado State. Um, so they're not feeling great about themselves. Their series against New Mexico was canceled. They haven't played in a while. Um, so this is a good time for Nevada to catch Boise State. This is obviously the cream of the uh, crop in the conference, typically, uh, especially in the postseason where they really raise their game. But, um, you know, Nevada's getting them at a good time. They're coming off a nice win. Uh, Boise State hasn't played in a while. So uh, we'll see if they'll be able to go up there and sneak one out. I think, again, if you get a road split against a team that on paper is better than you, um, you have to feel good about the progress that you're being uh, that, that, that you are making. Uh, they can score inside. They can score outside. Jade Lillaville uh, is a guard who scores 15 a game. And then, of course, the Reno High grad, Mallory McGuire. She's a transfer from Oregon, the daughter of former NFL quarterback Dan McGuire, the niece of Major League's former Major League slugger Mark McGuire. Mallory is listed at 6'5". She averages 11 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. Uh, Kirsten, we were kind of joking around before we came on, on, the, on the air. Uh, that's some pretty good lineage right there if you're talking athletically. <laughs> Yeah, if that was my lineage, I would be ecstatic. Um, no matter if I was a good athlete or not, I would just brag about my family. But I am excited about this um, about this series coming up. I think that with them, uh, with Boise losing to Fresno, like Chris said, this is going to be a good time for the pack to maximize just all their strengths and really play to their strengths. And if they can execute the game plan, I think that they'll go away with well, they'll come away with a split spirit series as well. 
I would call that a victory either way. Um, Boise, though, seems primed that if, if you want to play them, this is the time you want to play them. It'll be a Friday 1 p.m. tip-off and then a Sunday 11 a.m. tip-off up in Boise. Uh, CBS Sports Radio, 94.1 FM or 1450 AM. You can listen to Josh Sushant on the play-by-play call if you would like. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, he was a star at Galena High School, took his talents to Tulane, and is now finding success down south at UNLV. Conversation with Mo Wood coming up next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. We saw him as a star on the court for the Galena Grizzlies in high school, then went to Tulane through the Greenways in New Orleans, but uh, decided to transfer back out west. Moses Wood is, of course, the son of David Wood, former Nevada and NBA basketball player. Mo, having a good time down with the Rebels. We had a chance to catch up with him this week. Just what are some of your earliest memories of basketball? I mean, how old were you when you first started playing? Uh, I was probably about eight years old. Uh, my dad played uh, professional basketball, um, you know. So uh, I was always with him just in the gym, kind of getting shots up and just messing around with him, uh, you know, just playing. So, yeah. What was it like growing up playing basketball here in Reno? I mean, I know you have two older brothers. Just what was it like? Were you able to play with them at all? Yeah, yeah, I got I got a lot of uh, you know I think you know has a, a good basketball community and uh, I was playing with my brothers a lot just you know pick up at the local uh, at the local gym but yeah it was a lot of fun I uh, I enjoyed playing growing up there yeah. What do you think you've learned most from your father uh, and your brothers since basketball runs deep in your family? What have I learned most? Uh, you know, <clears throat> honestly, probably just from my brothers, just to be able to, um, just to be able to listen. Because um, my brother, my dad always, my dad and older brothers, you know, they obviously had a, more experience than me growing up and stuff. So they knew a lot of stuff. So um, I just felt like growing up my from my dad and my older brothers, I just kind of soaked in the information that they all had to tell me. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah. Do you try and rub that off now onto your younger brother? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I can, I, uh, I'll tell my little brother some stuff for sure. Yeah. He's out there at Galena playing basketball actually. So. Did you grow up going to Nevada basketball games then at Lawler? Yeah, yeah, I did. I went to uh, a lot of games at Lawler, actually. So, yeah, it was a uh, it was a good time. What are just some of your first memories, I guess, of going to Lawler? I mean, did was it surreal to you that this is where my dad played um, college basketball? Yeah, it was uh, it was cool. Uh, I think he actually has like a little banner up in uh, up in like the walkway area. But uh, yeah, I just, my earliest memories probably, I remember the uh, Deontay Burton era and like Malik story, those guys, I remember those guys. And uh, yeah, it was good times, so, yeah. What are some of your first memories then, I guess, too, of the Nevada UNLV rivalry, just in general? Uh, honestly, I, uh, I think I've only been to one game at Lawler where uh, they played UNLV, but uh, I think UNLV ended up Ended up winning that one. But, yeah, it was a great game. Just what will it mean to you now? I mean, how special will it be to be able to play in this rivalry now? Last year, you know, you were on the bench for that game, but now to be able to play in it. 
Oh, it'll be awesome. And uh, especially, you know, I, I'm going to be able to play in front of some of my family and friends up there at Lawler. So it'll be a really cool experience for sure. When you did, you know, decide to put your name into the transfer portal, I mean, how what was that process like for you? When did UNLV reach out to you? Um, they, uh, UNLV reached out pretty quick, actually. Uh, Coach Slocum was... He used to, I forget exactly how, but he used to like work for prospects or he helped started the prospects. And uh, he had actually seen me play a little bit um, for the prospects when he was at Utah. And then obviously he's, Coach Locum is now, you know, here. So he uh, he reached out pretty fast and he told TJ about me. So yeah, it was, it was pretty quick. And I know Coach Otzelberger said it was a priority, an early priority for him to get you on his team I mean just how did that make you feel that this coach already believed in you before you had even stepped onto his court oh it's awesome I mean that that's exactly what you want as a player right is to have a coach that believes in you like that and wants you so bad so you know it was a no-brainer decision to come here especially after hearing how much you loved me and wanted me so just looking at it now I mean having to sit out last year how do you think that was beneficial. I mean, obviously you would have liked to have been playing right away, but beneficial to help learn the system and learn his program. Oh, I, I yeah, uh, a huge, um, you know, uh, benefit for me to be able to just sit out and observe and, you know, soak in all that information and, you know, learn how, you know, his teams run. Um, and I think myself, you know, as a player have, has grown a lot over the past, uh, the past sit out year as well. Going through that sit out year. I mean, what's one thing that you think you learned about yourself that's helped better your game now this year? Uh, I know I kind of already mentioned it, but, uh, I think, you know, I just learned how to find, uh, to be more of a confident player. I think a lot of times at Tulane, I was kind of, you know, down my game, um, you know, down what I was capable of. But, you know, I think that sit out year, I, you know, I just kind of found myself, found my confidence and I had, you know, I played pretty good in the, in the practices that we had. So the most, I think uh, with Altsberger, he's just kind of brought out a, a new part of my game and he's, uh, he has a lot of confidence in me. And uh, I think that his confidence in me has allowed me to um, definitely expand my game and, um, you know, just be a better college basketball player. So. I know, you know, obviously it's just another game coming up here this weekend, but just what will it mean to you when, you know, you guys fly up here to Reno and you're back in your hometown and you're going to be able to put on a show for your hometown, even though there won't be fans there, but just on TV, being able to put on a show in your hometown, but being able to do it for you and LV. Oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, you know, this game was—I was looking. Uh, this is one of the games that I was most looking forward to. You know, especially playing in front of friends and and family. You know, everyone on on. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't have. We're not gonna have fans in Lawler, right? But uh, you know, all my my close friends and and people from high school are gonna be watching on TV. So it'll be really special for sure. You know, Chris, uh, I, I don't care what uniform uh, a, a local is wearing. I want to see them succeed. And, and a kid like Moses Wood, who was always a lot of fun to watch, we knew he was at Galena, um, finally finding finding some time. But 
this may be a crowded sort of roster come next year when T.J. Otzelberger really starts to bring in his guys to this roster. How much do you think his time on the court changes next year, or do you think he's going to be able to defend that spot and keep, I don't know, keep earning his playing time? Yeah, it's still a pretty young team. It's not like they have a ton of scholarships open. I mean, TJ tried to flip that roster pretty quickly and get his guys uh, in this year. And one of his guys was Moses Wood. Uh, got him to verbally commit less than three weeks after getting the UNLV job. So certainly a guy he's high on. And I think how he plays this year will dictate kind of his future. And, and you know, TJ's looking to a guy like Moses. Only his second year as a college player. But as we mentioned to start the show, I mean... Uh, happy with the leadership shown by his veterans and Moses is a veteran on this team, whether he likes it or not. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he performs Tuesday night here and see if he can provide that leadership on the court, both in terms of just, you know, holding people accountable, but also with his production. So, uh, you know, I think he has a role for UNLV moving forward for sure. You know, he's going to continue to try and upgrade his roster just as Nevada has tried to do. And some guys might lose some minutes as a result, but he's got a golden opportunity this year to say, you know, I'm a starter on this team at minimum. I'm a rotation player and he's going to, yeah lot of minutes to prove that this year heading into next season I really see a lot of his dad in him when it comes to high IQ basketball player very, very smart player um but yeah I think he's one of those guys that if he's not a starter rotation he's a, he's you know a six foot seven Zane Meeks I mean he's one of those guys who can come off the bench and hit a three for you and he's going to try and take a charge for you and I saw we saw that on Sunday night um here at uh, Lawler Event Center it's uh, either way I think he's going to get going to get his time and uh, disappointed. I don't know. I heard some cheers for Moses Wood. I don't know if his family got in the building, but you could hear some cheers for Moses Wood when, when he hit that early three. And, and uh, you know, I, that would have to be heartbreaking, though, if your family can't watch you play on the Lawler Event Center floor when you grew up here in northern Nevada. But uh, it's just the times right now. Yeah, I mean, it makes it difficult. I think his family was in attendance, but he had mentioned that, uh, you know, some of his friends weren't able to come to the game, so they'd be watching on TV. I mean, it's a court that uh, as much as you would think that he would have played on it, either with a postseason game or whatever, he had never actually played an official game until Sunday's contest. You know, his dad obviously called it home for a long, long time, and he's been to several games, uh, you know, saying that Deontay Burton and Malik's story were kind of his first memories of seeing games there. So I'm sure it was really cool to be able to step on the court and play. I'm sure he wants to walk off with a victory, so that'll be the goal tonight. But uh, yeah, with only 50 people allowed in the building it's not like there's a lot of wiggle room and getting all the supporters who have helped Moses get to this point uh, uh, have the opportunity to come and actually watch him play in person it'll be fun to follow his career over the next couple of years at UNLV and now that he was he's you know I kind of earned that starting spot if that continues this year and what happens next year I still think as, as you were saying I think at least a rotation player he's a guy that you have to get at least I don't know 15 20 minutes maybe a game if you can get him in that much because he is he is a threat from three and he's He's, he seemed like a slippery player. He, he found himself open a lot. And this is a good defensive team for Nevada. But, uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to watch his career over the next uh, couple of years. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we're going to send it down to Kirkwood. Joanna McWilliams from Kirkwood Resorts will talk to us about their recent snowfall. That's coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily here on our Tuesday, talking some skiing and what a week it was uh, up in the mountains. Over seven feet of new snow spread across uh, the Lake Tahoe and Sierra Nevada range. And to talk to us about uh, the, the great week that was and another great week of skiing ahead, we've got Joanna McWilliams, who is a communications manager down at Vail Resorts for Kirkwood Heavenly and North Star. And we also have uh, Greg Cunningham, who is the ski patrol manager down at Kirkwood Greg, let's start with you, man. Uh, I was out at Kirkwood Friday, and it was steep. It was deep. Uh, the snow was was really good quality. It was nice and powdery. 
Uh, talk about just the, the great week of snow that you guys had up there. And, and I'm sure an incredible challenge for your team, you know, to get the mountain cleared and, and safe, safe to open for everyone to go enjoy this weekend. Yeah, Alex, you kind of said it, you know, it was, um, it was kind of not only a lot of snow, but it was really good quality snow as well. I mean, it, it came in cold and it just got colder uh, and it kind of filled in everything uh, up to the point where, you know, the train is, is uh, kind of allowed all of it to be open. And, um, and it was a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, we not just um, kind of the mitigation, the snow mitigation, the avalanche mitigation, but getting everything dug out and ready for the weekend. Uh, the weather cooperated and uh, we had, you know, kind of a break on Friday and then we had a beautiful Saturday and and people were loving it. Uh, we were able to get the whole mountain open uh, and had it open Sunday as well. And now we're prepping for uh, what looks like maybe another storm coming in tonight uh, and through the day tomorrow. All right. So, Greg, I, I got to ask you what it was like on Saturday, because I was there on Friday. It was amazing. You know, I had this uh, incredible run on Palisades Bowl. Like I said, it was the snow quality was it was amazing. It was it was steep. It was it was just I'm, I'm like getting excited thinking about just how much fun that run was. But I know Saturday you guys opened the wall and you finally opened the backside after this big storm. Give me the scene. Like, what was it like when you guys first kind of opened those two areas? I imagine people were just hooting and hollering, going crazy. I mean, just, just itching to get out there into that snow. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, one of the best days we've had in a long time. And, and there was a lot of, you know, uh, uh, excitement and people were, uh, you know, we the season got cut short last year and so people they just felt like they were really excited uh and ready to go and uh and people were being great too there was no kind of anxiety it was just they uh, they didn't mind kind of waiting around a little bit and uh and it was just overall a great feeling um people were staying safe you know the soft snow helps and uh and just overall great day and a great weekend. Joanna, give, give me a, a, a kind of an idea of just what this snowstorm can do for a resort, you know, just in terms of the attention and, and just, you know, what it can do for the season moving forward. I think we were like 45% of average and now we're like closer to 70. I imagine this is a big boost, you know, just to keep these resorts going for a longer period of time. Yeah, this is what skiing in Tahoe is all about. We love these big storms and they just come in and open up our whole resort. I mean, we've had previous seasons where like we just opened with a bang and so love to see the snow and it just gets everyone really excited um, to be able to explore some of the terrain that wasn't open earlier and yeah, get out on the wall and some of those really famous runs that Kirkwood is known for. So yeah, we love to see it. Yeah, Greg, what did this snowstorm do for the mountain, just in the way that it kind of filled in terrain? I mean, talking seven, eight feet over a week, not uncommon for Tahoe, but this is still a really good storm. Yeah, I think it took us from, you know, kind of a, a minimal footprint to uh, kind of game on, you know, everything is kind of, if you're a skier, all the runs that you like to ski, they're in now and they're kind of in prime condition. That's where we saw a lot of people coming out for that this weekend and 
and trying to get back to the lines that they've been waiting for a year or two even to see and, and people waiting sometimes just specifically just to go to this run or that run or this spot, you know, and, uh, and I would say it's all pretty much in and game on now, so. Joanna, and then, uh, you know, I, I, was, I always get asked this by people. They ask, you know, where are some of my favorite places to ski? And I say, to me, on a powder day, I want to be at Kirkwood. And the backside of Kirkwood is my absolute favorite zone. Um, when, when people ask you about Kirkwood and you kind of describe the difference between the resorts, what do you tell them about what kind of makes Kirkwood unique? Well, Kirkwood just has an awesome community of skiers and riders. I think that's one thing that sets us apart. And uh, it's a very welcoming place. So we have progressive terrain. So at Timber Creek, you can ski Funny Bunny and have a great day there. There's some awesome runs at Timber Creek, some blue, some green runs there. And then as you move uh, over to the main side of the mountain, I love Buckboard. That's always really fun. And then, of course, the backside is awesome. And, you know, we have chutes and steep terrain and, you know, the wall and all of that. So there's you can kind of progress through the mountain as you're learning. And um, we just have an awesome community that welcomes everybody and everyone's out there to have fun and enjoy the mountain. Greg, take us inside the, that ski patrol, um, or that, it's the entire team that it takes to basically get a mountain open after a storm like that. I mean, how many people, how many hours, like what's it like to get a mountain ready after a seven foot snowstorm in three days? <laughs> Yeah, Alex, you know, it's, it's pretty unique here in that I think everybody wears a lot of hats, you know, that's kind of the way it's been and, and that's kind of the way it has to be because we are kind of isolated up here and people take on different, different jobs, so it's truly kind of an interdepartmental uh, effort and people are spending the night up here, they're working through the night, we're getting up early in the dark and we have ski patrollers spending the night at the top of the mountain groomers working all night to dig out the chairlifts and then and then people just kind of crisscrossing helping each other out shoveling uh and getting it ready to go so it really is a kind of an around the clock operation for everybody but it's it's exciting because we're we're kind of all up here in the valley uh in doing it together you know and then maybe i mean doing it uh, as together as possible and um and then making it happen so it's a it is a unique team something that i haven't been part of uh in other places and joanna i know things are a lot different this year obviously uh with covid and, and that includes just coming out to the mountain uh for for somebody that has not had a chance to go out to kirkwood or down to heavenly or north star what's the best way to go about it there's a reservation system uh, obviously there's COVID protocols, wearing masks and social distancing. What are some things that people need to know if they want to come out and try any of these three resorts this season? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, really, a lot of it's common sense. So you need a reservation or a lift ticket to access any of our mountains this season. And just sort of standard protocol, right? Physical distancing's in place. Thankfully, you know, with skiing, we have tons of acreage of terrain to space out in. Uh, and then also you need to wear a mask, right? A face covering when you come to our resort. And a lot of that, you know, uh, a double folded buff works great, um, a mask, anything like that. And of course, when it's actively snowing, I always recommend people bring an extra mask in their pocket just so they can switch it out if it gets wet. It's just a lot more comfortable when you're out there just getting powder face shots. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, not only the extra face mask, an extra pair of goggles, that was uh, definitely... Uh, I got froze over pretty quickly on Thursday. It looks like another great week of skiing. Uh, get those reservations in. 
on the Epic Pass. You can find those details online. We'll put a link on our website as well. Uh, Joanna, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back with more of NSN Daily right after this. Well, the calendar has flipped to February, and that means uh, guys like Chris and I are uh, starting to sniff baseball season and start to think about that. And uh, honestly, until pretty much yesterday, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. I'm still not sure what's going to happen, Chris. I mean, we're both trying to be as realistic as possible here. But uh, uh, the plan was up in peril after you know that uh, that proposal from the owners. But now it looks like it's good to go. I mean, the owners wanted to push spring training and start of the regular season back about a month then play 154 games instead of 162. They wanted to throw in those seven inning double headers. Players union rejected that, but now they're saying they're on ready for an on-time start. What are your thoughts about all of this that's going on? And don't I don't even want to talk about 2022 yet. We're going to have to discuss that, but yeah, what do you think? Um, I mean, they should be playing. NFL's playing, NHL's playing, NBA's playing, college sports are playing. The only reason MLB wouldn't start on time is because the owners are greedy. I mean, that's been the issue all along. I mean, the owners basically wanted to trade a couple of regular season games for expanded playoffs where they can get more television revenue to hoard for themselves. They're certainly not spending big in free agency this year. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that the season would start on time. And the only reason it wouldn't would be if the owners got their way and the players are saying kick rocks. I mean, we're going to play on time. We've been preparing for spring training uh, for the last couple of months. Our pitchers have been throwing uh, ready to get into spring training. They're not going to take a month off because you're going to delay them now uh, a couple of days before we're supposed to report. So there's a lot of acrimony between the two sides. I and mean, we were lucky to get a 2020 season in given how much those two sides dislike each other right now, but uh, it makes full sense to play 162 games. You're probably not going to see very many, uh, fans in the stands and it's probably not ideal to hold spring training in Florida and Arizona to hot spots but uh, you know the vaccine is rolling out the numbers are going down so everything is uh, looking like we're going to see a full season and the players said uh, you know we're, we're going to play we're not even going to counter this proposal we'll be there at spring training ready to play 162 games and uh, we'll look forward to getting our checks. So when, when, when you look at what what is being discussed here um, the players I mean MLB released a statement saying that with the players union rejection of the owner's proposal and no counteroffer, the league has instructed the teams to be spring training ready on time. Uh, that means catchers and pitchers are going to report to Florida and Arizona in a couple of weeks. Uh, is this setting, are we seeing a storm that's going to come in 2022? Do you think, is this the players and the, and the, and the owners, are the owners kind of going, all right, you know what, you're going to have your cake now and we're going to be nasty in 2022. I, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to that because I've seen the way that both sides treat each other, but the owner's side is really hard to get on board with. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of acrimony after the CBA uh, expires after this season. Uh, I think you're probably going to see a lockout or you're going to see a strike or something heading into 2022. I mean, the Major League Baseball Players Union is stronger than any other in, in sports. I mean, it's stronger than the NBA, it's stronger than the NFL, it's stronger than the NHL. That's why they don't have a salary cap. And they're not going to give in on some of those issues. Really, the players... Uh, association has been uh, taken to the woodshed the, the last two cycles. And I think they're done with that. Uh, they're going to stand a lot firmer. Uh, you're seeing that players, unless they're the elite of the elite, the Mookie Betts, they're not getting paid in free agency. And basically how it's set up is your first six years, you're tied to a team for almost no money. I mean, the first three years you're on a team, you don't even make a million dollars, even if you're the MVP of the league. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of discussion on how do we get the money to the players during their primes when they're great in those first six years, because once those six years are up, you're kind of saying, okay, you're too old now for a big contract. Um, so there's going to be a lot of discussions on how they're going to try and reapportion uh, the money 
Um, so these owners can't basically say, okay, you're too old now, you're not getting money. Uh, how do you get that money into those first six years? It will be the big argument there. So I think you're going to see a lot of issues next offseason, but I think this offseason, you'll probably see a regular season uh, of 162 games. I don't think there'll be too much craziness, but there's the issue of the DH, there's the issue of expanded playoffs with the owners want. So there's a lot of things they're going to have to sort out. And it's not like you just show up spring training in 2022 and, okay, let's figure all these things out. These are discussions that are being had now. And just from last cycle, uh, when they played the shortened 60 game season, I think there's a lot of bad, bad blood there. And you've seen the Players Association load up with a lot of new hires that they've made this offseason to try and make the case um, for why they need more money earlier in the careers of these players. Let's get to something a little more exciting, like predicting things and, and forecasting things in your crystal ball. Do your Dodgers repeat? Um, I mean, probably not. I would take the field over any team in baseball, even if it was the 27 Yankees. I mean, I really like what the Padres have done because they're trying to win. And you could probably count on maybe two hands, maybe one hand, the number of teams that are actually trying to win baseball games right now. You see so many teams, the entire NL Central, uh, not trying at all. Uh, you know, there are a lot of teams that are just like, okay, you know, we're going to just hoard the money that we have, uh, you know, because we're not going to have fans and we're going to try and protect ourselves in case there is a lockout next year. Um, so they're not giving out big contracts. So I really like what the Padres have done. I really like what the White Sox have done. The Yankees are obviously strong. The Dodgers are strong. The Mets have made some big moves. The Braves are in there. Um, you know, the Rays are still lurking around. Those are really the teams that I think have the chance of winning the World Series. I think the Dodgers are the best team. But the Padres are very close behind them. So I think the two best teams in baseball are going to be in the NLS, which should be fun. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Watch this this young Padres team that has so much fire, so much spirit, and so much, you know, bat flip in them, literally. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, yeah, if you're a Giants fan and you you go, what moves have my team made this offseason? None. They haven't done anything. They've just sat there. And uh, so that kind of tells you a little bit about you know, where San Francisco sits right now and whether or not they – they think that they can make the moves to even win their own division or a wild card spot. We'll be right back to wrap things up here on Innocent Daily right after this. I want to thank uh, all of our guests today. Uh, Moses Wood, good to catch up with the Galena High School graduate at UNLV, Joanna McWilliams from Kirkwood Resorts as well. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Ryan Radke, former voice of the Wolfpack this week. We'll have him on later on this week as well as uh, Josh Taylor, uh, Wolfpack softball coach for Chris Murray and uh, for Anthony Resnick, I'm Brian Samudio. We'll see you next time.